them from Egypt until uh, bringing them to the promised land and saw the way that they responded to that in unbelief and disobedience and the way that God judged them for that. And so the prognosis of that wandering heart is the consequences that will come upon the one that is unrepentant. So this morning, the question arises, how will we go about ensuring that we do not fall into this trap? What's the preventive maintenance? Uh, Maybe another option for a title there. Preventative maintenance. You know, we think about uh, health in our, in our physical heart. We, we have symptoms of something going, going wrong and there's a bad prognosis. So what, what do we do to take care of that? What, what changes do we need to make? And so the author of Hebrews last week, he was quoting from Psalm number 95. Um, he's using that, as we went through that passage, he's using that passage of Psalm 95, that section of Psalm 95, as a reminder and an example to us as he's warning us to examine ourselves. He's warning us to make sure that we do not fall into the same trap, to make sure that we do not come into the same fate as the children of Israel, as that generation did. As we look at Hebrews chapter number 3, we'll be looking again verses 12 through the end of the chapter. As was already read, we won't read it in one shot again here. But looking at this first verse here in in verse 12, I want to see that we should be examining our hearts. So if you want to guard your heart against wandering, the first thing you need to do is be examining your heart. He says here in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. This word in the Greek is blepo. It means to be vigilant, to be on the lookout, to be careful. Um, The idea here is that this is a continual activity. All right, this is not just a a once a week come to church, hear a sermon, and oh yeah, I need to to self-examine, right? It's not just a, oh, we've got communion this week, I need to to take account of where I am uh, in my spiritual life before I, I take communion. The idea here is an idea of vigilance, an idea of watchfulness, something that is, that is continuing on. Um, when I was in college, I went to a Bible college, so we didn't, we didn't have fraternities. We had uh, something else. I can't remember. Do you remember what the, Societies, thank you. Uh, we had societies. Several others were at the same university. Um, and, uh, and we had societies. And, and I joined a society, which I look back on now and see how apt it was that I was in a society of nerds and geeks. But um, I joined a society, and the name of that society was, or the, the, the mascot was the Sentinel. And the Sentinel is, um, is a watchman, basically. It's somebody who is up on the wall of the city or on the wall of the castle watching out for the, the danger that is going to come. It's, it's looking out for, it's watching out for, and then warning when that danger comes. So it's kind of funny because none of us really were that athletic or, you know, so we weren't the knights, we weren't the crusaders, we, we, were, we were just watching. We were, we, were, we were making sure people, the people who could do the battle knew what was going on. Um, but that's what a sentinel is, and that's really what the author of Hebrews is calling us to be. He's calling us to be watchmen. He's calling us to be vigilant, but to be vigilant about our heart. We need to be vigilant. We need to be watchmen on the walls of our heart, being vigilant to catch any sign of evil, any sign of unbelief. 
as we evaluate that on a day in and day, ba- day out basis, as on a moment by moment basis, if a watchman takes even, even a few minutes off, that part of the wall is, is unguarded. It's unwatched. It's, it's vulnerable. If we take any time off in this process of, of examining, of, of being careful to examine our heart, we're vulnerable. We're at risk. And so the idea here is that we should, be care, we should take care lest in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leads you to fall away from the living God. This is not a, um, an uncommon call to us here in the Scriptures. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 says this, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. So the, the call is to test ourselves and examine where we stand and, and when we see the areas that we are failing in, to turn back to the Lord. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, many of you probably even have memorized, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Notice the the response in both of these verses. There's a response to examine ourselves, even to open ourselves up to the examination of God. Not so that we can turn away like the children of Israel did, not so that we can harden our hearts against what God says, but so that we can return back to God so that we can be led back to the way everlasting. He says that we should be guarding our hearts. We should be examining our hearts to see if there is an evil, unbelieving heart. Another way that this is translated is an evil heart of unbelief. The writer here is equating unbelief with wickedness, with evil. They they are the same thing, basically, in the mind of the author here. You may be here this morning and you think, well, I believe. You know, I believe in, in the gospel. I believe all the different things in our, in our doctrinal statement. I'm, I, I, I agree with all those things. I, I'm good to go, right? I'm good to go. I, I believe. Let me warn you this morning again, as we often do, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? We are guarding and watching a heart that is deceitful. We are examining a heart that is prone to lie to us. Prone to make us think that, that we're better than ourselves. That, that we, are, we are living in a way that we are even uh, believing in a way that we may not be. We must be on guard for these symptoms that we looked at last week. This hardening against God's Word. When we hear the Word of God, do we harden against it? Or do we look at it and say, yes, that's what I need to change. I need to, I need to obey that. Or is there a hardening? Is there, is there a desire to, to get rid of the Word of God? To keep it from affecting us? To keep it from, from calling us out? There's the the symptom of judging God based on our desires. Remember the children of Israel said, where is the Lord? We're out here with no water. Is He even here? And they begin to judge God based on what they thought needed to be done rather than judging themselves based on what God had said. 
We need to guard against ignoring God's faithfulness and expecting something new. We'll be reminded of this again even at the end of this sermon. God is faithful. And He has proven Himself faithful over and over and over again in our lives. And yet so often we are quick to forget what He has already done. And then lastly, we must guard ourselves from the symptom of continued unrepentant disobedience. Over and over and over again, the children of Israel disobeyed. And the author of Hebrews equates these actions of the people of Israel with an evil and an unbelieving heart. And even does this here again at the end of our passage this morning. Jump down to verses 15 through 19. It says, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt by Moses? Right? They had seen what, what God had done. They, they had heard what they were supposed to do to go into the land of Canaan, and yet they rebelled. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? And look how he sums up all of these actions. He says, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Yes, they sinned, but why did they sin? They sinned because of unbelief. Unbelief really is the basis of all of our sin. Even back to the very first sin, how did we get there? What did the serpent say to, to Eve? He said, did God really say such and such? You should not eat of all the trees. Of course, he, he lied, right? But what was he doing? He was, he was planting a seed of doubt. He was planting a seed of unbelief. And there, even in the garden, and, and from that point until now, really, all of our sin is born out of unbelief. It's born out of some amount of disbelieving what God has said is true whether it's sinning in the privacy of our, of our room by ourselves where nobody is around and thinking that no one will ever know. It's not believing the reality that God is everywhere, that God knows everything. In the end, it is lying to ourselves that the things that the Word of God says, eh, it's not quite, not quite true. It, it, it's Okay. When God says not to do this, you, you, can, you, you can do some of that. That's unbelief. It's saying, I don't really believe what God says is actually true. Now, I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that when we, when we fall into these times of unbelief that we're necessarily no longer saved. Um, there are... There are uh, levels, in a sense, of, of unbelief. We can believe in the veracity of the gospel and we can wholeheartedly um, desire to be following Christ, yet in these different moments of life, begin to believe the lie of Satan over the truth of God's word. And we, when we do that, we sin. Sin is born out of not trusting God's word is true for me or best for me. 
And when we give in to that unbelief, the author here says that it will lead us to fall away from the living God. It will lead us to fall away from the living God. There are two ways that I see this in Scripture. The first one is for us as believers falling away is sinning. It's breaking that relationship with God. It's, it's, it's living in a way that causes us to no longer be in fellowship and perfect harmony with our Savior. I mentioned that we have communion coming up, and that, that's not the only time that we should be watchful. That's not the only time we should be clean. But there is a warning in the passage that Paul writes about communion to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 through 32, he says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. That's an interesting statement, is it not? If we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged because we would be repenting of these things. We would not be coming and making a mockery of the Lord's table as the Corinthians were. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Think about that phrase. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we are not condemned along with the world. We're going to see later on in the book of Hebrews again that God is a God of discipline. He is a Father who, who gently and lovingly disciplines us to bring us back into a right relationship with Him because we are so prone to fall away. We are so prone to fall after, follow after the desires of our own heart, to fall into sin, to, to not even just fall into sin, that sounds like an accident, to, to pursue sin, even as believers. We are so prone to ignore the truth of God's word and desire and follow after and seek out sinful behavior. Things that we know, in the moment we know, go against God's word. In the moment we know, we'll break fellowship with God. And yet we are so prone to wonder. That is one way that a person can fall away from the living God. The other way is even more devastating. That way is to fall away from, by turning away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turning away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, or 2 Corinthians, sorry, chapter 13, verse 5. Paul writes, examine yourselves. Why? To see whether you are in the faith. Paul's talking to a church. He's writing this to, to people that we would assume are believers. And yet he knows that even in the midst of believers, there are those who, who have some belief in truth, but they don't have trust. They're not following after Christ. There's no fruit that, has been, that their life has been changed. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now he's also referring back to the first letter of Corinthians, where he had, he had called out a lot of different sins in the church of, the, of Corinth. 
And, and he's writing to them again. He's saying, look at, look at all these things in your life. Test yourself. Ask yourself, are, are you really in the faith? Are you really following after Christ? Is there any evidence that I am being changed to be more like Christ? That's the question that we should be asking ourselves when we're examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith. You may have gone forward in a service. You may have prayed a prayer. You may have memorized a lot of scripture. You may have even taught a Sunday school class. But is there any change in your life? Or is it just acts? Is it just information? Is it just believing ideas? James tells us that even the devils believe and tremble. But that doesn't change them. They know that there's a God. They, they know God probably even more severely than we do. And yet there's no hope for them. It's not enough to just know about God. You must know God through Jesus Christ. And know Him and trust Him and believe in Him in a way that causes change. That's one of the points of James that we went through not that long ago. Is that true faith produces change. True faith produces a change in our life. The book of 1 John is a great book. If you're, if you're examining your life to, to say, am I in the faith? Read the book of 1 John. Because he gives us many tests. We'll just look at a few of them here very quickly. 1 John 2, 4-6 he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Is that true of you? Verses 9-11 through 11 of the same chapter. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verse 15, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Verse 29. If you know, what, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Are these realities of your spiritual life. Take a minute and, and examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Are these realities of your spiritual life? Do you see these? Not perfectly. He also says in 1 John that if we say that we have sin, if we say that we don't have sin, we're lying, right? We read that. But then he goes on to say, but I, I want you to know if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Right? You are going to sin. We're not going to be able to do these things perfectly, especially in and of our own selves. But are, are you living with a desire and a continual growth and obedience? Or are you okay with a continual disobedience, continual failure? Have you just assumed that, eh, 
That's just the way that I am. And you're okay with that. Or is there, is there change in your life? Do you love the body of Christ? Do you care about the people that are in this room? Those that may not be in this room this morning that are away for various reasons. Do you care about them? Are, are you concerned about them? Is there a love for the brothers and the sisters in Christ? Do you love the things of the world more than the things of God? Do you love the things of the world more than you love God? Is there anything that you are pursuing that is more important than your relationship with God? Do you believe Jesus is who He says He is and has done what He says He has done? These are the marks of a true believer according to 1 John Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20 said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, for you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. When you examine your life, do you see fruit? Do you see spiritual change? Or are you just the same as you were when you prayed a prayer? That was really the main thing that, that broke into me years ago. When I was in seventh grade, through the preaching of the Word, I realized that though I grew up in a Christian home, though I, I knew all the, the verses for the, for the Romans Road, I could share the Gospel. I'd even led people to Christ in, in children's church. And yet, when I examined my life, there was no fruit. There was no love for God. There was no love for the people. There was no desire to be like God, desire to follow after Him. Sure, I, I was very good at conforming on the outside. I was, real, I was a great rule follower. But that didn't make me saved. And it was at that point that I realized that there was no real fruit in my life. And that all my belief was in a prayer, in, 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 a, in a situation that happened many years before that. And it was at that time that I truly gave my life to Christ. And praise the Lord, He's changed me. Is that your testimony? Do you see fruit in your life? Are you constantly evaluating your heart? Not only must we be constantly evaluating our heart, but we need to be exhorting our brothers. Be exhorting your brothers. Verse number 13. He says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This word for exhorting is parakaleo. Probably sounds somewhat similar if you've listened. I know Eric's mentioned this word uh, many times in his sermons, but he uses the word paraclete. 
We see those, those words come from the same root. Um, the idea there is a helper, someone who comes alongside. We see paraclete in, in reference in John chapter 14 to the Holy Spirit as our helper. He says, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. So uh, thankfully the Lord gives us a helper who's dwelling within us, but he has also given us helpers in the church. And we are to be helpers. We are to be exhorters of one another in the body of Christ. We are to be encouraging one another to live in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11-14 says, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. He's not just talking to the, to the elders. He's talking to the church. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. We are to interact with one another in a way that calls one another to repentance. A way that encourages one another to grow in the knowledge and obedience of Jesus Christ. Luke 17, verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Are you actively involved in the lives of other people in this church? We have, we have this statement in our church covenant. That we will, as a body, seek to restore sinning brothers. Are we on guard for one another? Or are we just, eh, that's, that's a private thing, you know, I'll let the Lord handle that. God has called us to get involved in the lives of the people in this church. He's called us to, to call out sin. He's called us to urge one another to obey. He says, as long as it is called today, he's referencing back to, to the statement earlier where it says, today, if you hear his voice, there's an urgency here. There's an urgency in this command. It's, we don't have a lot of time, people. Again, James, it's, it's interesting. James correlates so much with, with Hebrews, it seems like. James again reminds us that our, our life is like a vapor. It vanishes away very quickly. We don't have a lot of time. While it is still called today, are you engaging with one another in the body of Christ? Why is this so important? He says, so that none of you may be hardened with the deceitfulness of sin. Isn't it amazing how quickly we become hardened by sin when nobody knows about it? Or when people might know about it, but nobody's willing to confront we are so easily deceived by our sin. And yet God has given us a guard for that in the body of Christ. And it's each other. 
It's each other. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trans- transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Matthew 18.15, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. James 5, 19 through 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is what God has called us to in the body of Christ. He's called us to examine our own hearts, but he's also called us to help one another to guard against a wandering heart by examining each other by being real with one another, by saying, brother, that's, that's not the way that Christ desires us to live. And hopefully we will respond in the correct manner because that's God's desire. You know, we use this word church discipline oftentimes. And, and there's a reason why it's not stated that way in our church covenant because God's desire is for restoration. God's desire is for us to come back to Him, for us to come back into fellowship with Him, for us to come back into fellowship with one another. And He uses the members of the body to do that. Are you willing to be a useful tool in the Master's hand? Finally, if we're going to guard against a wandering heart, we must be exercising our faith. We must be exercising our faith. He says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Exercising, working it, using it over and over and over and over again until the end. What is this confidence that he talks about? It's the same confidence he's been talking about from the beginning. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls it our hope. Back up in verse number five or six, he says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if, what? If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Our confidence is in the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Is there hope for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you holding fast to that? Or as we saw in chapter 2, are you beginning to, to slip away? Is your anchor not firmly planted in Jesus Christ, are you beginning to, to drift away from Him? What is the author saying here? He's not saying that we're saved until, we're stop, until we stop holding fast. Let me say that again. He's not saying that we're saved until we stop holding fast. There's a lot of misconceptions 
about several things in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to get to one of the big ones here in the coming weeks. But that's not what this verse says. It does not say, you're saved until you stop holding on. What does it say? It says, you are in Christ. You, have, you share in Christ if. It's a totally different Greek word. If indeed. What? You hold fast. We hold our original confidence firm to the end. Holding our confidence firm to the end is not something that we do to preserve something we have. It is an evidence of something we have. If we have held firm to the end, it is an evidence, it is a proof that we are in Christ. If we hold to the end, then we can be confident, we can have certainty, we can have assurance that we have shared in Christ. We've seen the warning in chapter 2 that we should be anchored in the gospel. We've seen the statement in chapter 3, verse 6 that we just read that to hold our confidence and our hope. We see again here that we, we have a proof that we are in Christ if we hold our confidence to the end. It sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? If we're not careful, we can begin to think that, that all of this depends upon us. We can begin to think that, that this is something that we've just got to grit down and, and hold on and be firm. This is not a works-based salvation. It is a grace-based salvation. This is not simply found in the book of Hebrews. For sake of time, I won't read this whole passage, but Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, is giving the parable of, of the sower, we often call it. It's really the parable of the, of the ground. And he talks about the sower who sows seed out and it falls on different types of ground. And the first three types of ground that we read there, there's, there's no belief because Satan comes and takes the word. Then there's a little bit of belief, but then trials come. And, and they cause the person to realize, hey, this isn't really worth it. Right? The belief isn't, isn't real belief. It's, it's just belief. It's kind of like, yeah, I think that sounds good. That makes sense. But when it gets hard, when life gets tough, and things don't turn out the way that they want them to turn out, eh, I tried that Jesus thing. Didn't work for me. Then we have the, the belief that has, looks like it has some fruit, but the cares of this world grow up and choke it out. The love is not for Christ. It's for self. But look how he describes the good soil. This would be the very last one, verse 15, Troy. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and do what? And bear fruit with patience. The good soil are those that hold the word fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Paul echoes this concept also in Romans chapter 11, 
when he's talking about the fact that we are grafted in to the line of Abraham. And he says that they have, they, the, the, the children of Israel have been, have been cut off so that we can be grafted in. But he gives a warning there. And he says that they were broken off because of unbelief. Broken off because of unbelief. And yet he gives a warning. He says, note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. There is a reality in Scripture that our faith, if it's real, will endure to the end. It will endure to the end. And that is one of the ways that, one of the proofs, one of the fruit that we see of true believers is that even at the end of their life, their faith is firm. They know who they have believed. And they are persuaded that He is able to do that which He has committed. We serve a faithful God. For sake of time, we'll skip over a lot of verses that I was going to read. Where does faith come from? If we're saying that this is not something, this holding on, this believing to the end is not something that we can muster, where does this faith come from? Romans chapter 10, speaking specifically about sharing the gospel of salvation. Starting in verse 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? whom they have not believed. And how will they believe on him whom they have not heard? Where does belief come from? Hearing. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is not something that we muster up in and of ourselves. It is a work of God in our lives through the word of God. As he opens our eyes to who he is and what he has done. That's why true faith endures to the end. Because true faith is not about me It's not about what I've done. It's about Christ. It's about what He has done. We must be people of the Word. We must be exercising our faith every day in the Word of God. Because that's where our faith is born from. We must be grounded in it. We must be studying in it. We must be understanding it. We must be applying it. We must be obeying it. We must be repenting where it calls out sin. We must be constantly examining our motivations to see if they match the motivations of Scripture. We must be continually exhorting one another to believe what God has said and to live it. This is what it looks like to exercise our faith day in and day out. Are you holding to the truth of the gospel this morning? 
Are you exercising your faith today? Even sitting here listening to a sermon, you can be not exercising your faith. You can be sitting there thinking about lunch, thinking about the business meeting afterwards, thinking about stuff you have to do today, problems that you had this morning, frustrations. Are you letting the Word of God dig into your heart? Are you letting the Holy Spirit use it to change you? Are you exercising your faith? Are you holding fast to the truth? Let me close with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-13 through 13 says this, Remember Jesus Christ. It's a good way to start. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in, with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Amen. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Are you grateful this morning that we, even though we are weak and faithless at times, we serve a faithful God? A faithful God who calls us back from our wandering into fellowship with Him. Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone to try to figure out this Christian life. You've not left us to, to battle with our sinful desires, but you have given us your Holy Spirit living within us. You've given us your word to teach us and direct us. You've given us one another to speak into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are not like the Israelites who fell away. That we would not be a people who are wicked and unbelieving and disobedient. But God, I pray that we would constantly be examining ourselves to see if there is anything in us that is drawing us away from you, that is drawing us away from Christ, that is drawing us away from the gospel. Father, it's so easy to let the ideas of the world, the perspectives of the world, the desires of the world to come into our lives and change the way that we think. To make us even begin to believe things that go against your word. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts. Guard us from lies, guard us from sin, and guard us from unbelief. Lord, help our unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.